back to the Shema study. For the past several sessions, we've been taking a deep dive into the Shema, talking about how we receive the love of God and how we return that love to Him and to others. We've been asking some basic questions like, why do we love God and how do we love God? We learned that we love God because He loved us, made a way for us, and because He is worthy. We learned that we love God in return by receiving His love, by listening to Him, by cherishing Him, and by obeying Him. We also learned that we can love God with all of our current and potential territory and by loving our neighbor. This week, we are continuing to zoom out on the Shema as we outlined together to get an overall snapshot of the passage. And you also read ahead in Deuteronomy as you see Moses flesh out his sermon on the Shema. And as you outlined, you were to make any notes of barriers that Moses warns the Israelites about as uh, it would prevent them from loving God in the land. So he wants, us, he wants them to know about these barriers. In these passage, I find the biggest barrier listed to loving God is forgetting God, forgetfulness. The words remember and do not forget are used over and over and over again in Deuteronomy. It is a primary theme of the entire book. We see this phrase in Deuteronomy 6:12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I think this is why the Jewish people wanted to adopt the Shema into their everyday rhythms. And when it came, when they came in the door and when they left the door, they needed to remember God, remember, remember, and do not forget. Every time my husband and I leave the house, we have a silly little mantra that we say. We go through phone, keys, wallet, mask, because we know those are the essentials, seems like, these days. But what are the Israelites to say when they go out the door? They are to say the Shema. Why? Because their biggest priority as they came and as they went was to remember Yahweh. The other refrain throughout Deuteronomy is be careful or take care or to do things diligently. Perhaps you saw these repeated phrases as you annotated as well. Recall from an earlier session that loving God doesn't happen by accident. It takes intention and intention to the greatest degree. This forgetfulness God is talking about is not a temporary lapse in brain power. It's an intentional act. Why? Because it shows evidence of a heart that does not place the intention on God. So before we go through the door, so to speak, on this session, let's remember the Lord and say the Shema together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The biggest barrier to loving God in the land will be forgetfulness. And this root problem of forgetfulness manifests itself in different ways and leads to additional problems. So this will be our outline for today and we will unpack each one. These four different manifestations of forgetfulness. 
We forget who God is, which leads to idolatry. We forget who we are, which leads to identity problems. We forget what God has done, which leads to a lack of faith. And we forget what we have comes from God, which leads to pride. Let's talk about that first manifestation of forgetfulness, forgetting who God is, which leads to idolatry. In Deuteronomy 6, 14, God says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. This warning is repeated several times throughout the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps most notably in the Ten Commandments in the First and Second Commandment, which commands us to have no other gods and not to make an idol for ourselves. Now, it makes common sense that a barrier to loving God would be to give your heart to someone else. That barrier is a betrayal. The covenant that Israel's have made together is between them and with God, and to worship idols would break God's heart and block the intimate and loyal relationship he desires to have with them. As the people conquer the land, God knows that idolatry in particular will be a temptation for them. So they are to destroy the altars, the pillars, the poles, the images of the gods that the other people possessing the land have been worshiping. There is to be a total separation from these idols as they are set apart for God. This is to protect and preserve their relationship with the Lord. Why? Well, like it says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, God has set his heart on them and made a way for them. So he wants their total worship and he is worthy of it. They have this knowledge, but they have a choice ahead of them, whether or not they will give God the devotion he deserves. Paul describes this process of choosing idolatry in Romans 1, 19 through 22. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul describes idolatry as being a deadly exchange of God for another. When we forget who God is, we will automatically be filling his spot with someone or something else because we are made to worship. So our affection will be placed elsewhere. We will make the deadly exchange if we do not actively place God in his rightful place in the territory of our heart. So I have to ask you who or what is occupying your heart? Remember who God is, Yahweh, the lover of your soul. Well, the same forgetfulness that leads to idolatry is also the forgetfulness that leads to identity problems, which is forgetting who we are in light of who God is, forgetting who we are in relation to God. 
the Israelites certainly would be tempted to forget who they were as they enter the land. So Moses reminds them. In Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 21, Moses writes, when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. So God tells the new generation to identify themselves as freed slaves. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, Moses writes, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So from these verses, we find some more ways the Israelites are to identify themselves. They're holy, meaning set apart and pure. They're chosen, they're treasured, they belong to God, and they are free. So if they identify as holy, free, chosen, belonging to God, treasured, they will reflect that in their actions. If you know you're holy, you're going to make choices that are set apart and keep you pure. If you know you are free, you will embrace that freedom and invite others into it. If you know you are chosen, treasured, and belong, you will not struggle to find that somewhere else. This is the culture of the family of God. And when the Israelites stray from this identity, they run into major problems. They will not keep themselves set apart from the evil people of the land. They will look to worship idols. They will look for satisfaction in all manners of ways, except the one place true fulfillment can be found. They will follow the way of destruction instead of the way of life because they did not embrace God's identity as his chosen treasured possession. I want you to notice the timing though of this identity. It doesn't happen right at this moment, but it happened long ago with Abraham. The identity came when God made a covenant with the Israelites' forefather way back in Genesis 12. So he gave them this identity before he gave them the law. So the Israelites' identity isn't dependent on what they do, but who God has made them to be. And they have a choice whether or not to act on that identity or to reject it entirely. We could talk about identity all day long and how it orients or disorients our relationship with God as his beloved. But for now, I want you to know, because of Jesus, the identity of holy, chosen, belonging, treasured children of God can belong to us too. And we have a choice in whether or not to accept or reject that identity. See Peter first, 1 Peter 2.9 and Ephesians 2.10 for more on that. How do you identify yourself? Who are you in relation to God? May God's thoughts of you be the way you see yourself, and the way you see others. So forgetfulness leads to idolatry and identity problems, and it also leads to a lack of faith when we forget what God has done for us. In Deuteronomy 6, 12, Moses writes, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. It seems to me that the Israelites have a short memory span. They remind me of Dory here. You remember the fish from Pixar's Finding Nemo? 
When Nemo's dad meets her, they introduce themselves, have a conversation, and then about a minute later, they start all over again, and it's cute and it's funny. But in the Israelites' case, however, it ain't all that cute and it ain't all that funny. I wanna bring up one instance that they exhibited this same forgetfulness, this lack of faith, which Moses mentions in, uh, in Deuteronomy 6.16, when he says, do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Let's turn to Exodus 17 together and we'll read about it. As you turn there, let me give you some background. God at this point has provided for the people at every turn, freeing them from Pharaoh through miraculous signs and wonders, splitting the Red Sea when they were stuck between the sea and Pharaoh's army. And in just the chapter previous, in Exodus 16, God supplied them bread from heaven. Despite these miraculous and recent provisions, they forget. So let's read together Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and, the, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So instead of trusting God... And going back to him to ask for what they need, they quarrel with each other and they blame Moses. After all God has done for them, does he still have to remind them who he is, what he has done for them, because they refuse to remember? God tells them he will fight for them and he's given every example to prove that his word is good. God knows they will encounter even more obstacles, but the obstacles themselves are not the true obstacles, but rather the forgetfulness and the lack of faith is the greater obstacle. So it begs the question of us, what has God done for us? This can be the testimony of your salvation or the many ways he has provided you in just today. We've got one more barrier to loving God that I see in this section stemming from forgetfulness, and that's pride. And pride is forgetting everything we have comes from God. Deuteronomy 6.10 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, 
and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. <laughs> and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When the people enter the land, they will be tempted to attribute this accomplishment to themselves. Instead of thanking God for the abundance and giving him the glory, they will be tempted to pat themselves on the back. But God makes it clear from this passage, it was not you who did this, it was God who did this. And again, it wasn't because they were more in number or because of their righteousness. This position is 0% you, Israelites, and 100% because of God. God has no reason to bless them except that he loves them and chose them. Notice how in Massa, they were in want, they were thirsty, but in the promised land, they will be in plenty. Yet the temptation to forget is the same in both instances. So it isn't the external circumstances that cause the forgetting, but rather the internal disposition. What Moses calls that hard heart and stiff neck. So one more question for us, what has God given us? What has God given you in plenty and in want? What is the posture of your heart in terms of pride? Do you have a soft heart that will see the goodness of God seeping through every situation and circumstance you find yourself in? So today we learned that forgetting God is walking a path opposite to loving God. We've talked through the biggest barrier of forgetfulness and how that leads to the other barriers of idolatry, identity problems, mistrust, and pride. So now let's turn the question around and ask, then how can I practice remembrance? In the Israelites' day, God gave them many ways of remembering him through worshiping at the tabernacle or later the temple, stones of remembrance so that they can set up to visualize what God has done for them, feasts and festivals to experience yet again viscerally who God is and what he did for them, and Sabbath to rest in who God is and what he has done. God knew his people were forgetful, so he gave them many means of practicing remembering him in their love for him. Even though we could poo-poo and tisk-tisk the Israelites, we know we're just the same, right? Just as the Israelites are tempted to forget, so are we. So as the Israelites must intentionally remember God, so must we. Now I'm a planner. I really love my calendar. I really feel like I can't exist without it. Maybe you can relate. It just feels so essential to making sure my priorities become a reality. So it's really tempting for me here just to say, oh, it's just a logistical problem, Israelites. You just don't have Google Calendar yet. You don't have Alexa reminding you to remember God. But that's not it. That's not right, is it? Because they did have physical means to remember God. So it's not coming from the outside. Again, it's coming from the inside. So let's talk about six P's of remembering God that will help us apply this passage to our life. And it will include planning, but that can't be it. That can't be our sole means of remembering God. 
So we're gonna talk about a multifaceted approach here that we can enter into daily remembrance of who God is, who we are, what he has done for us, and all he has given us. The first P is to pause, slow down, turn off your devices and get quiet. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out, but just take a minute to be still and know he is God, as it says in Psalm 46, 10. God is calling the Israelites to pause here in Deuteronomy to listen to his word through Moses before they move on to the promised land. I think it's especially important for us to pause in those transition moments. Don't rush to the next thing. Before you leave the house, pause. Before you accept the next job, pause. Before you say yes or no, pause. And how about before you go into the next week? God has invited us into a whole day of pause and it's called Sabbath. Practicing Sabbath says, I remember you are God and I'm not. And I'm accepting your gift of rest as your beloved. So there's pause and then there's pray. Talk to him, reach out to him. Let him know you're thinking of him and love him. Touch base and listen to him. Ask for what you need. Thank him for what he's already done for you. Ask for faith when it's tempting to forget his provision or his power or his presence. Ask for help in remembering. This happens at intentional times as it did for the Israelites. Usually in our household, we pray in the morning when we meet with him, as we go places, like before we drop the kids off at school in the van, at meal times, when we go on trips or at bedtime. But communing with the Holy Spirit can happen throughout the random moments as well. And that's important too. Whenever he's calling you to talk to him, make sure you meet him there. The next P is plan. Here's where the calendar comes in. Make a plan to remember God. Plan to remember him together with your church, in solitude, with your other disciplers and those who disciple you, and remember him with your spouse and with your kids. Next P is pass it on. In Deuteronomy 6, the Israelites are not only called to remember themselves, but to make sure the next generation remembers too. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So they pass on the Shema. They pass on the knowledge of God's love towards them and his way of living to their kids. And by the way, this is not just a call for biological parents for their biological kids but a practice for anyone God has brought into your life to spiritually parent as well. The next P is partake. In the New Testament, Jesus showed us a physical way of remembering him through communion. In Luke 22:19, it says, and he took bread and when he has given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By taking the bread and the cup, we are remembering his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. When we do this together with our church, we remember him both on a personal level and a corporate level as we remember him together. And the last P is party. Celebrate God, especially in his provision, big and small. The Israelites had festivals that retold the stories of God's provision for them. They physically reenacted 
with the, these stories with food and prayer and song. We don't have to stop at Easter and at Christmas. Remembering God through celebration can happen at all the seemingly mundane and mountaintop moments as we recognize with gratefulness all we have been given has come from God. My friend Natalie and our founder used to carry around praise poppers in her purse just for these exact moments. She always wanted to be prepared for an opportunity to celebrate God. So I wonder, how will you remember the Lord today? Which P can you grow in practicing remembrance? How will you remember who he is, who, what he has made you to be, all he has done for you and all he has given you? Remembering God will remove barriers left and right to loving him. And when, not if, but probably when you forget, accept the gift of grace from Jesus and ask him to tell you the story yet again of his goodness towards you. Dayton Women in the Word exists to help women read their Bibles. If you have been blessed by our ministry and free resources, would you please consider giving a donation at daytonwomeninthewordcom slash donate. Oh, he